Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. There is no such thing as do-it-yourself Christianity. And that's a natural human tendency for us is to try to, you know, we learn things, we hear things, and we kind of, how do I want this to be? What do I think is better? And in life, we can do that. Lots of areas in life, we can do that. We can have kind of our own way of doing things. But when it comes to Christianity, biblical Christianity, we don't get to decide. For the Lord lays it out in his word. Now, that doesn't mean we all become like robots and all do the same thing. No, it's where he's made us all unique and, and he does these things through us in those unique and special ways. But nonetheless, when he talks about following him, I mean, we can think we get to decide, but really he has told us what the expectation is. And so that's what we've been looking at the last three weeks, this idea of following Jesus, that there's a hard side to it. There's a side that we would not have probably come to on our own. And yet it's a decision that, that the Lord has called us to when we receive Christ as Savior, and then we are to grow in that and follow him as his disciples. And so we looked at the passage of Scripture in Luke where he talks about, you know, usually he uses a... a, a Figure speech and talks about hating your family and loving him. And what he's saying there is that we love him most. And he talks about how difficult it may be, the pain that might come along and how we follow him anyway. And then he talked about that we need to let go of everything. So let's just do a quick review here. Okay, so for that first week we saw this, that Jesus, uh, go ahead and go to that if you would, Malachi. Jesus in living for him comes before every relationship I have and every person I know, including myself. Jesus comes first before anyone else, okay? Uh, and that's period, there's no, this is what I mean. We don't get to say, well, I'll kind of do that. No, we, we need to make that decision that he comes first and foremost. Then uh, the second week we saw this, he says, I will follow the Lord no matter how difficult it becomes. Now, if you're facing a situation where to follow the Lord means I, I have to do this and I can do this in a way that is easier and this way is hard, nothing wrong with choosing the easier way if you're obeying the Lord, right? But when it, you can't say, oh, this is what the Lord requires of me. He's, he's telling me I need to do this. I got to follow him. But that seems so hard. Well, maybe I can modify that a little bit. Okay, That's, we don't do that. No, we do what he says. Okay, by the way, this is a, such an important lesson, a valuable lesson. If you can get this one nailed down, it's going to change how you live your life for sure. Okay, and it's because it's in those difficulties of following the Lord that you discover that he's real. And you discover that his word is really true. Okay, and so you don't shortcut that and, and lose out on that, all right? And then last week we saw this. He was talking about forsaking all, forsaking everything, that I give all of my life, all of my possessions, everything I control, the things, anything that I have control over in life, I give it completely to the Lord, and I will do with them whatever he leads me to do. So we've let go. We've let go of all our possessions, all of our money, all of our relationships, all of our opportunities, all of our talents, all of our strengths. Uh, we've done what? He said, Lord, I'm not holding on. They're yours. 
I've given them to you. I've yielded control of these things to you. Now, tell me what to do with them. Okay, and some he might say, let go, go away. And others he might say, uh, no, I want you to use that and do this, okay? Now, uh, we raised six kids. We had six kids. And when you have six kids, and, and if you have any kids, <laughs> you know that crazy things happen, don't they? With kids, things you never would have foreseen. Some of you may have heard this story before, but I, I walked in, I don't know if it's the afternoon or evening, whatever, into our house and sitting there on the counter, kind of near the sink anyway, was a bowl with tortilla chips in it. Okay? Yeah, go ahead and go to that Malachi. So, so we've got the tortilla chips there, and I, I like tortilla chips. Kind of hungry, so I went over and took one and pitched it and said, wow. That's kind of like, I don't know, is that stale? It wasn't as crunchy as normal. And there was no salt. I mean, okay, so here's how I would describe it. It was tasteless. It was bland. It was boring, flat. There was no salt. Guess what? It wasn't worth eating. But I still ate two or three more. <laughs> you know, I mean, I kept thinking, right? That must have been a bad one. And you, you realize the whole thing is not, it's bad. Well, I think it was that night of supper or something. Uh, everyone was around the table, and, and I commented on that. Well, man, that was, that was bad. They were stale. What's the deal with the chips? And, and of course, the kids kind of started looking at each other and smiling. <laughs> and you know, talking to found out that, Dad, we, we licked it all off. They go to that slide, uh, Malachi, if you would. They said, we licked it all off. Okay. And uh, so that's why there was no salt. Right? Very bland. Uh, and so, you know, there's crazy kids, right? Crazy kids. They do crazy stuff. I thought that was the end of the story. A number of years later, when most of the kids were grown, we were all together having, so we were sitting around the table talking at the end, and somehow or other that came up, and I was laughing and talking about, yeah, you crazy kids, you know, you, you licked all the salt off of those chips that time. We were talking about that, and they kind of got a funny look on their face, like, question? I said, what's going on here? And they said, Dad, it wasn't salt we licked off. Those were nacho-flavored Doritos. They had really licked those things. <laughs> but my, my first immediate clue was that there was no salt, right? They're supposed to be salty, and it wasn't salty, and so we just need to throw them away, okay? For lots of reasons, but certainly because of salt. So today we want to talk about this idea of salt. Jesus talks about it in Luke chapter 14. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke 14. If you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be someone underneath the chairs there in front of you. We'd encourage you to follow along on page 1203. So we saw in the first, that there were lots of people following him. And this is when he says, okay, here's what it means to follow me. I want you to understand. And so he tells them about the, the family and he tells them about the difficulties and he talks to them about forsaking all and then... We come down to verse 34. And he says, salt is good. 
But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does he mean by that, he who has ears to hear? Um, I think it's really speaking to how we, what is our mindset and where's our heart at when we come to hear what God has to say. And so when he's saying, if you have ears to hear, what he's saying is if you are willing to be open to what I have to say, you will be able to hear. You will be able to understand. Again, you can't be coming with your own agenda and I'm going to accept this. No, he says, no, you have to come open. James talks about this in chapter one of his letter when he says, um, if you lack wisdom, ask God, he'll give it to you. He says, but you got to ask in faith, believing. In other words, okay, I'm, whatever God shows me, that's true and right. I'm going to live by it. You got to start there. So here, so here we are today. We're going to look see what Jesus said. So let me challenge you. Where's your heart at right now? Where's your mind at right now? We need to be at the place where we're saying, okay, God, we want to hear what you say in your word. We want to understand it because we want to do it. We are surrendered to you. Father, I pray that that's where we would be today, Lord, as we continue to look at your word and partake of the Lord's Supper, that we would really be open to hearing what you say and really understanding what it means in our lives because we have yielded already to do it. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so salt is good, but if it's no longer flavorful, what's the point? You know, he says it can't be used for this, it can't be used for that. It's just people throw it away because it's no good. So he's talking here about salt and saltiness. Now, I discovered recently that the word salty doesn't mean what it used to mean. When I said those chips weren't salty, it didn't mean that they were, the, the chips, they weren't salty. But if they had been salty, that didn't mean that they were upset about something. Because <laughs> you know? it's the word salty, I guess, nowadays is used to say when people's bothered by something. And maybe it's bothered by something they shouldn't be bothered by, but whatever, right? Boy, what are you being so salty for today, okay? I'm not talking about that. But I hope you aren't that today. Okay. But he's talking about salt and saltiness, and he's making an analogy to us as his followers and comparing us to this idea of salt. So uh, let's, let's think about what, when in Jesus' day, when he was talking about salt, it would help us to understand some of the things that go on. So salt, um, the uses in the time, Jesus' time, salt uses in biblical times and lands, okay? So obviously salt was used for seasoning food and preserving food. Okay, seasoning and preserving. We like the seasoning part, right? You know, how many times have you ever eaten something and go, wait, it's not having enough salt? Or you ate it and said what? Too much salt, right? But so the idea of seasoning, salt is used as a seasoning all the time uh, to make something savory, okay? But in Jesus' day, and really for a lot of history, it was used for preserving food because the way salt works is it tends to absorb water. It draws water to itself. And if you have a piece of meat and it has all this moisture and, and juice in it, if you leave it like that, it will, that's, that provides a wonderful environment for microbes to grow, right? For bacteria, bad bacteria to grow and the meat rots, you eat it, you get sick, okay? 
We actually have somebody who's not here today because they called and I mean, said, I can't be there because I've got food poisoning. Right? I mean, so it happens. But so if you just have a piece of meat, but what they would do was they would take the meat and soak it in a brine solution. Very, very salty. Soak it, I don't know for how long, but the idea is that the salt would permeate that, but it also draw out a lot of the water. And the salt that's in there draws the water to itself. And so it really decreases the amount of moisture in there, which makes it much harder for those microbes and bad bacteria to grow. Okay? And so this is how they would preserve the meat and, and some other foods. So uh, let me see here. I want to make sure I don't forget anything on this. Right, okay. And then they had some non-food uses as well. And uh, one of those was drying out animal waste. Now, doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> the reality is, is that they would take the waste from the animals and dry it, and that's what they would use to burn. You know, you look at Israel, there's not a lot of places you're going to find wood to burn. Okay? So they would burn the animal waste. That's how they cooked, and that's all the stuff that they did. And so they would put salt on that, uh, and it's... I'll talk about that in just a minute. But the idea is that would kind of help to dry that out faster so it could be used for fuel faster. Now, where they were getting the salt, they didn't get, you know, they didn't go down to the local marketplace and, and go and find uh, a little container of salt, you know, with one of the fancy little pop-up things, you know. They didn't have that kind of thing. They got their salt, and by the way, salt was very valuable, uh, but from places like the Dead Sea. When the Dead Sea would evaporate, you know, water, it leaves salt deposits, but it's not pure salt. I mean, when we get what we're getting, I, I don't know if it's even pure, but, right, but theoretically we're getting sodium chloride, pure salt. But theirs came as a mixture of, of everything that was left behind when it was evaporated, other minerals and things. One of the big ones was potassium was also in there. Uh, but so they could have this, and it could be varying how much Sodium chloride, what we think of as salt, was actually in it. And sometimes if it would get wet or whatever, the, some of the sodium chloride might dissolve and leach out. And so this salt that they have could become less and less salty. All right? So when they would reach a place where, wow, this isn't as salty as it used to be, but it's still salty, they would then take that and throw that onto the dunghill. Now we use it for drying the, the fuel that we're going to burn. Okay? And it could get to the point where, boy, there's, there's still some salt, but not much. And they would use it as fertilizer. Now, that's, when I heard that, I said, that's crazy. We, you put salt on things, what's it do? You put salt on plants, what's it do? Kills them. That's right. But apparently, some kinds of soil uh, are helped by a little bit of salt. And so the, maybe they had some soil like that there in the Middle East. And so they would actually just, when it's, it was very low, potency, right? But they would put it in the soil. And so what Jesus is saying here is that when the salt, in fact, let's look at it. Just look at it. Verse 34, he says, if it's lost its flavor, if it's lost its saltiness, verse 35, it is neither fit for the land. There's no point of throwing it on the ground. Okay. It's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. That's the animal waste to burn. He says, so it's no longer tastes good. We don't use it for cooking. It can't preserve anything because it's, 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 you know, potency is gone. It's not there anymore. Uh, you can't use it for fertilizer. You can't use it to dry. What good is it? And so what's he say here? What happens in life? But men throw it out. Why? It's no good anymore. 
right? Doesn't accomplish anything anymore. What's the point? So this is the uses that they had. Um, now, is Jesus, he's talking about literal salt, but is he really talking about salt? No, he's not talking about salt. This way he says, he who has ears to hear. Are you listening? He said up above, you've got to love me more than anybody else. I come first before anybody else, everybody else. I, you need to follow me no matter how hard it is. Don't even let how hard it is be a factor. You follow me. And by the way, everything that you have control of your life, I need you to let go of. You need to let go of it. Give it to me. I'll tell you what to do with it. And then all of a sudden he talks about salt. Is he talking about salt? He's talking about us. Those of us who are going to follow him. Because all those things that we've already looked at here, are those easy things or hard things? They're hard things, right? The relationship things, the difficulties, the forsaking all. Those are big challenges to us. And so he's comparing living like that with being salty. And so if we aren't living like that, then our lives become useless for Christianity. And ultimately, for us when it comes to eternity. So yes, he's not talking about little salt, but he's talking about us as his followers. In Matthew chapter 5, he makes this more clearly. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is then good for nothing but to be thrown out, trampled underfoot by men. Okay, so he's talking about us. So that means, if I'm understanding this, this analogy right, he's saying that we ought to, we have a preservative role in our world. We have a preservative role in our relationships because as you and I walk through life, believing things that are true, that comes to affect other people. Now they might reject it, but they also might lean more in and embrace it. The way we live our lives and what, you know, according to what God says is right and making those kind of decisions, that affects the people around us. How fast do you think America would change to a place you don't want to live if every Christian was suddenly gone? There would be free reign, right? And I'm not, I'm not trying to say Jesus is telling us to go out and control the politics. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to say is if, the, if we, the salt, weren't there, it would go bad fast. Okay? All right, so we have a preservative role in this. We also have a fertilizer role in this, in the sense of providing uh, something that's going to help growth to occur, help people to grow in their relationship with Christ. Okay? So we ought to have that. And then we have the flavoring part. And I think in some ways this may be the biggest aspect of this. Uh, Job uh, was in the Bible, you read the book of Job, maybe he went through all these problems and the, these guys had gathered around him, they were telling him all their ideas and what they thought about why he was going through it and how he needed to respond and all. And he's, he's listening to it and he's going, bleh. And he, he says this to me, he says, can flavorless food be eaten without salt or is there any taste in the white of an egg? And then he's, he's, what he's saying is, this is what you, kind of way you guys are talking to me. This is the stuff you're saying to me, it's bleh. And they were wrong. God makes that clear later on, okay? And then 
one of our roles, we should be able to say with the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Come and see. Come and see. Um, if you, I don't know if you've ever been served food or you picked up a snack or something and you, you put it in your mouth and all the salt was, you know, it was good. You know what I mean? How many of you, if you're going to choose a sweet, choose sweet, sweet, I mean, a sweet, a snack. How many of you are sweet snack people? How many of you are salty snack people? Okay. So, yeah, we get it, right? Oh, man. That's got my attention. You know, if that bowl had had salty chips in them that were still crunchy, I'd have eaten a lot more than two or three. But see, this is what we're saying with our lives and, and our conversations and how we live. All, you know, the people, look, come to see. It's good to follow the Lord. It's good to know him. And, and hopefully something we can say or something we can do is like that. It, it, they taste it. It's, wow, this is good. And they want more. That's what the Lord is telling us here. So we need to be able to live this way. And so Paul even talks about this in our, how we deal with people who are outside and how we talk to them, people who are not Christians. He says this, let your speech always be with grace, gracious words, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Seasoned with salt. Um, well, I go back to the Navy. We're not talking about salty language here, right? No, we're talking about talking in a way that kind of you know, draws people. That sounds good. That's, I'm drawn to that. Okay, so that is the way that we should be living our lives. And so, just like we've done with all the other three, uh, three things there, we try to sum it up. And so let me sum up. I think here's what Jesus is calling us to. And it, actually, it's a decision we need to make. It's how we respond. Because when he says, if you, have, you have ears to hear, he's talking about how we're going to respond. Here's what we're going to say. We're going to say, I will live as an authentic follower of Jesus. Let's just stop there. I will live as an authentic follower of Jesus. This is a decision, right? Yes. I'm going to do this. It's not a claim that you're going to be perfect. You're not. You're going to mess up. But this is where you're going. You're saying this is where I'm going in life. Ups and downs, I'm going to keep going in this direction. I will be an authentic. And this is what I, the idea of is salty. Appropriately salty. Right? Authentic. The real thing. I will live as an authentic follower of Jesus, energized and compelled by a real, ongoing, and personal relationship with him. Because you cannot be an authentic follower of Jesus if you do not pursue a relationship with him. It is impossible. It is in coming to know him that you are unable to do what you need to do. It's in coming to know what he thinks that you're unable to think that way. It's, it's all those things. So it's about pursuing. When I say I'm going to be an authentic follower of Jesus... The focus is I'm not going to be an authentic follower. The focus, I'm going to be an authentic follower of Jesus. And so we've got to pursue that relationship with him. That is what will energize us. That is what will compel us. This is when the Apostle Paul says in the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says that, you know, the love of Christ compels me to do these things. And that's, that's where we need to live, that we are compelled by that. All right. Now, sadly, that's not the norm today, I don't think. Um, 
And if we went out and were able to talk to a lot of Christians, people who say they're Christians and all that, and we actually asked the right kind of questions to find the answers, we might discover that there's a lot of people trying to live their what? Their own version of Christianity. But the Lord says, no, follow me. If you're going to follow me, it means this. All right? So this is not the norm these days. The, what Jesus says is you've got to follow me even if people reject you because you do. You've got to follow me even if it's hard and it's costly and you, you don't know how to keep going, but he does. It's, it's about forsaking all, giving up everything to him to follow him. And so I was thinking about this, that since this isn't the norm, and, and I don't know where you guys are all at, I believe the best about you that you guys want to follow the Lord and you're working on that, okay? But so there's clarity we're getting here, what that means. But when I think about how does this look, um, this word edgy came to mind. This Christian who actually walks through life salty, appropriately salty, living out these uh, things that God has said, you must do this. The Lord said, you've got to do this if you're going to be my disciple, can't be my disciple unless this is how you're living. That's pretty edgy when someone's living like that in our culture. And so what does edgy mean? You know, I love to give you definitions. Edgy means having a bold, provocative, or unconventional quality, being innovative, daring, creatively challenging. And as I think about this, that if, if we are following the Lord this way, will we be bold? Yes. Now, bold doesn't mean loud. Out there, bold means that you do what you need to do. You're present and ready to go. Provocative. I guarantee you, if you become open about your faith and you live, trying to live these ways that we've talked about, you are doing that, that um, you're going to provoke some things. You may provoke a negative response. Well, Jesus already warned us about that, right? Yes. Okay. We've already settled that issue, but so we might experience rejection. But you also may provoke someone to go home and think about that. You know what you might provoke? You provoke that somebody's been busy all day and they, they lay down and they play their head down. There's last, last thoughts there the Lord brings to mind. Something you said or something you did. And they're pondering this about this. this, this You're provoking something in people by how you live. And don't go out and try to provoke people. It'll happen, okay? Unconventional quality. It's, it's not the norm, right? It isn't the norm. It isn't how people respond. You know, people don't tend to naturally turn the other cheek. Um, things that people can't explain. Why would you do that? Because I'm following Jesus. That's why I'm doing that. Why I'm not doing that. Innovative. Man, how creative is God? Look at the world around you sometimes. Go find some video, you know, the miraculous creations of God and just look. It is unbelievable. That's the God who lives in you. Do you think in your relationship with someone that he might all of a sudden give you a, a little bit of creativity that reaches that person? Right. Daring. I, I think it's pretty exciting to follow Jesus. Amen. You know? Creatively challenging. This is idea. This is edgy. But so, I just use the word edgy to try to capture this. But really, I'm talking about being salty, right? Being salty. 
being the kind of Christian that God has called you to. Now, in our passage, again, it says that if we are not this, if we are not living the way he's called us, he says, you know, follow me in these ways. If we're not doing that, if we're trying to do our own thing, or if we're, you know, I've talked about it here, here we come, this is our timeline of our life, and we're going through life, and there's, at some point we came to say, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I received Jesus as Savior, I believe that, I, I'm receiving his forgiveness, and I'm going forward. And then we, I don't like the way that looks. I think I'll just hang around here. You know? What a waste that is. What a waste it is to live that way. If you're here today, and, and we said last week that this, if this is the place, let's say, in my life where I come to Christ, and then I come to Christ and I go here and I realize, wait, following him means this. I have to, you know, put him first. I got to say, okay, even if it's hard, and I got to say, okay, Lord, I give it all to you. And we don't. Where are most of the blessings of following Christ, what does the Bible tell us is which side of this decision? Which side? It's the, you have to make that decision to get there and experience those things. So all this would be wasted to you if you don't make this decision and try to go forward. Uh, and just, you don't try, just go forward with the Lord. Okay, now if you are here today and you're saying, okay, I got my salvation. Uh, no, I don't think I'm really interested in that. I'll just, I'm okay here. Well, let me say to you, if you feel like, well, I'm just fine here, there's a high probability you're not. There's a real good chance you aren't genuinely saved, that you have not genuinely placed your faith in Christ as Savior, because it changes us. Okay? And so if you're content not to try to follow the Lord, I get going up and down and, and failing and being away from time and coming back. But if you say, no, I'm not even going to do that. I just like, I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. I think you bought a counterfeit ticket. Okay. So think about that. Evaluate yourself. You have ears to hear, hear that. But what a waste. Because what's going to happen <clears throat> is as a believer, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, um, and let me just be clear because I never know for sure where everybody here is coming out or those who are watching or listening. There are two judgments that Christ will have. Okay, one is called the judgment seat of Christ, which I'll talk about in a minute. And the other is the great white throne judgment. For all the people who have never received Jesus as Savior, they've gone their own way, they've done their own thing, they die never having been forgiven for their sins, they'll stand in great white throne judgment, it's called, and they will be judged on how they live their lives, which is going to include, just like all our lives, sin, 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 sin. They'll be found guilty, and then their judgment will be hell. Those of us who have genuinely received Christ as Savior by just, you know, believing what he did for us and accepting it, uh, we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And at this judgment, it's not a judgment about whether you're going to heaven or hell because Jesus settled that when he saved you. It's about how did you live your life? You know, have you earned some rewards? And, and every Christian who stands there will have done some things, the right things, right reasons. Everybody will receive reward there. But how much of your life, when you look at it with Jesus, you realize 
when it comes to living the way he said, it was a waste. This one who gave all for you, who loved you more than you've ever been loved, and even at this point in time as you're in this judgment, loves you and accepts you, and you're there with him looking at your life going, that was a waste, that was a waste, that was a waste. Wow, I don't wanna do that. I've already got too much of that that's gonna show up anyway. So call us, we need to to go forward with him. And so this is the commitment that we need to make, the surrender, I should really say. I will live as an authentic follower. Why don't you read this out loud with me? And you can make this commitment right now while you're reading or you can just think about it while we're reading. Read it out loud with me. I will live as an authentic follower of Jesus, energized and compelled by a real, ongoing and personal relationship with him. Okay, so that is the decision that we need to make. Now, how in the world are you going to do this? It's nice to say, I'm going to do this. Um, How? Well, we could start trying to make a long list of details. I don't want to do that, but I want to show you. This is what we put up here. This is our understanding of what God tells us how to live in the Bible. And so we've got to start, we surrender. And if you say, this is, I'm making this surrender now. We grow to be like the Lord. That's how you're going to grow. And how are you going to know what the Lord's like? I don't know. I mean, I do have some ideas. You knew I did, didn't you? How are you going to know what the Lord's like? You have to get into his word. You have to be reading it, pondering. You have to be talking to God about it. You have to be trying to figure out, how do I live this out? What does that mean in my life now? And you do that by coming and having preaching. You do it when you stick around next week for the lesson and you learn how, what God says about the things we're studying. You fellowship with other Christians and, and you see people who maybe, wow, they are demonstrating what it means to follow Jesus and you learn. And so it's really about getting very serious about your life as a Christian and pursuing your relationship with the Lord. It's very much what it says in our, our statement there. A relationship, pursuing that relationship with him. And then, of course, we tell others. That's where the salt is coming out. That's where we're seasoning things. All right, so this is the commitment. And I want to say to you that the reasons to do this because he is worthy. He's worthy of it. This one who loved you, who was in heaven, he says he left the riches of heaven and became poor to become one of us. He, oh man, is, is this, we've talked about it, but is this kind of an ugly world sometimes? I mean, the physical world is beautiful and there's lots of good things people too, but there's such ugliness that goes on as well. And this is the world he came to for us, came and suffered for us, dying that we might have eternal life because he paid our penalty for sin and rose from the dead, okay? He is worthy of doing this. If there's no other reason, he's worthy of it. But the reality is it's also worth it to you. And when you're on the other side of this decision, it's hard to see that sometimes. But let me, I just promise you, based on what the word says and what my experience is and what a lot of other kids' experiences is, it is worth it. You will never regret the decision to follow Jesus. Never. You might struggle with it, but you'll never regret it.
And then, so it's worth it. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this challenge from your son and your word. And I pray, Lord, we would look to see, we'd open ourselves up to you and let you show us where we're at. I pray, Father, we would be salty in the, the appropriate ways, that we would live for you the way you've called us to. I pray nobody here, Father, be deceived about staying on the other side of that decision as if that's going to work. Help them to see the lie from Satan that that is. Help us to be these Christians who, who live on what seems to the world like such a hard side. But once we're here, we discover it is that you're there holding us up and enabling us to live this way. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.